Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, don't ever mess with a guy with a wolf coat. Because if he can skin a wolf, he'll take care of you too. Lord, teach us today. Open us. Open our hearts. Make us people of prayer. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, the title of what we're studying, hope you all take notes, is How I Can Get Better at Prayer. Would you like to be stronger at prayer? Hold your hand up. Everybody found it? Got it? Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm actually going to start at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in what? All things as we are, yet he never sinned. Verse number 16, please underline it, mark it, memorize it. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. King James says, let us... Approach with boldness to the throne of what? The throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, uh, here's a question as we start off our time today. If you could choose to be good at one skill set, what would that be? And I would pray everyone could be good at something. We all can be. What would that be? For instance, maybe you want to be a novelist. You've got books inside you. Okay, that's great. Be a great writer. Maybe you'd like to be a tremendous architect. You're just fascinated by this field. Or here's another one. Maybe you've got songs on the inside and you want to write them. That's noble. Here's another one. Maybe you want to be a professional athlete. You want to play college football or basketball and maybe make a living doing that. That's a, that's a noble thing to shoot for. But you only have so much time. You can only be good at so many things. Maybe you want to be a great trader on the stock market. A lot of people do that. So my point is, life is short. And you don't have time to be good at many things. If you think about the people our culture honors because they're good at something, they're good at one thing. Because they've devoted their life to that one thing. Well, here is my take on this. I would suggest that we in this room, if you really want to have a quality life, if you want to have a great eternity, if you want to make a great impact with your short life, give yourself to a life of prayer. Now, let me tell you some reasons why I say that. You say, well, I've never prayed much. I don't know how to pray. Well, today's your message. I want to help you grow. Now, here's my reasoning. If you get pretty skillful at prayer, and it takes a long time, if you get pretty skillful at prayer, you get everything. If you want to be a school teacher, university professor, if you learn to pray, you'll be a better teacher. If you want to be a business owner, if you learn to pray first, your business will do so much better because you will listen to the voice of the Lord. Now, for some of you that have given yourself to vocational ministry, you want to be a pastor, missionary, youth pastor, worship leader, whatever that is, let me tell you the truth because I've learned the hard way. 
This is not about intelligence. It's not about how many hours you work. It is not about your natural giftings. What's it about, Steve? Here's what it's about. Your anointing, the anointing of God, is the difference between what you can do and what you need to do. It's the gap. The anointing only comes because of your life of prayer. Now here's a world-class writer, pastor, missionary that God used to touch the lives of millions of people, and he wrote this. Andrew Murray, born in South Africa, pastor, did missionary work, wrote books. He's a hero to many of us in the faith. He said this about prayer. Look at what he said. The man or woman that mobilizes the church to pray will make the greatest impact for world evangelism in history. That's why this church is on its way to becoming a house of prayer and why I want to be a man of prayer. Now, there's only one thing that's recorded in Scripture where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. Only one. I'm sure they ask many things, but the one thing that's recorded, they said in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teacher, would you teach us how to pray? Now, why would they say that? Because they observed his life. The miracles, the teaching, the anointing, the ministry he did was not because he was God in the flesh. He left those powers in heaven. It's because he was under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you and I learn to develop a strong prayer life, I'm going to give you four reasons to do that. You will learn and experience the character of God. Everyone say character of God. Where does that come from? It comes in the midst of war, the book of Jeremiah. Jerusalem was taken three different times by the Babylonians in the midst of this war and chaos and difficulty. The Lord told the young prophet Jeremiah this. Jeremiah, tell them, don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom or his IQ. It doesn't count. Don't let the strong man boast in his strength or ability. It doesn't count in my eyes. Don't let the rich man boast in his assets and resources. It doesn't count in my eyes. Let a man give himself. Let a woman boast in one thing, that she knows and understands me. B, another thing that developing a life of prayer will do, it'll help you understand who you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses, where you've been wounded, where you've missed opportunities, where opportunities and circumstances are right in front of you that you should pay attention to. An hour with the Lord, and I love counselors, I've used counselors, I recommend counselors, but an hour in the Lord's presence is better than 10 hours with a counselor. But most people never learn to get the hour. See, if you develop a life of prayer, you will experience God's grace and the power and his multiplying influence over your life. What do you mean multiplying influence? Well, you're a vessel of the Lord. That's what you and I are. We're made in God's image, but we are servants of the Lord. And why would you ever want to be average? Everyone say average. What do you mean a average husband? Ladies, do you want an average husband? Yes or no? That would be no. Do you want to be an average employee? No. Do you want to be average anything? No. Do you want to be an average prayer person? No. 
You want God to take where you are and multiply it. And that only comes from your life in prayer. And last, D. This is a lifetime goal, okay? If you develop a heart for prayer and a lifestyle of prayer, you give God the best hours of your day, and you learn to do this as a teenager or even elementary school. If you do this early, you will be able to tap into the resources of heaven that very few people ever tap into. And the heavenly Father will look from heaven at your life and he just may declare you to be his friend. In James, the Lord says this about Abraham. I bet he turned to Gabriel and says, that man right there, he's my friend. That man walks with me. So if you want that kind of relationship, you have to pursue that relationship. It is not automatic. And I'll tell you this, God will do stuff for you that he won't do for anybody else in the county, all because you are close to him. Now going back to to Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16. That verse is about an invitation. Everyone say invitation. I love this picture. An invitation to what? An invitation to a relationship. A life-giving, give-and-take, mutually beneficial relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's what you've been invited to. And it starts out like this. It says, let us, everyone say let us. You know what let us means? Let us is not what you put on a sandwich. It means everyone is invited. You're not left out. If you didn't know you were invited today, you should know you've been invited. Well, invited to what, Steve? You've been invited to draw near. Everyone say draw near. What does draw near mean? It means you approach. Draw near means that you enter the room. You don't walk away from the room. You enter the room where he is. You move toward him, not away from him. When we sin deliberately, or even if it's not deliberately, we feel guilt and condemnation. The devil tells us we need to move away from him. No, that's the time you need to run to him. We need to draw near because he asked us to come. Now, my, my adult kids and my grandchildren, my grandchildren are too young, but when my adult kids text me, call me, and say, Dad, you want to have lunch, or Dad, can I come over, or Dad, can you help me with this? To a father, that is the sweetest thing ever. And I'll drop practically anything to do that. Now let me tell you what, when your heavenly Father invites you to come, and you come, it touches his heart in a deep, wonderful way. And then the rest of the verse says, with confidence, everyone say confidence, or boldness, say boldness. Now the confidence is not in ourself. The boldness is not because I'm so sharp. It's because I know him, how good he is in greater and greater measures. So my confidence in is me entering the room with him because he's a good God. He's a wonderful father. He cares about me. He cares about you. By the way, you are loved. You are cherished. Well, you don't know what I've done, Steve. It doesn't matter. You are still loved. And you are still cherished. 
and he is for you, and he wants to help you. And you know what? In this culture, there's so many people that feel like they're not wanted, and maybe they haven't been wanted. Dad wasn't around. Mom was cruel and, and, and condemning, and friends have hurt them, and siblings have wounded them, and I've lost jobs, and I've been divorced, and I've got all this hurt in me. I want to tell you what, you're wanted completely by him. And so, that invitation to come and meet him means a lot to him. And it should mean a lot to you. Because it means he's got big time stuff for you. He's going to help you and do things for you that are unbelievable. You couldn't imagine what he wants to do to help and bless you. Now, you're invited to something. It's called the throne of grace. Turn to your neighbor and say the throne of grace. Tell them the throne of grace. Do you know what? Every throne, there's somebody on the throne. And this throne is the greatest of all. On this throne is the greatest one anywhere, anytime, any place, and every single day. Daniel the prophet saw into heaven, and he saw one that the holy ones call the Ancient of Days. And at the right hand of the Ancient of Days was his son. And the son, Christ, our Savior, is also a majestic king. By the way, when he comes out of the sky... To come back for his people, he, he's going to come back with a robe dipped in blood. He's a warrior. He's a king. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And down the thigh of his armor, it says something to the effect, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. That's our king. That's our king, the one we serve, and he's not only a king, he not only has the school and the role of the prophet, but he's also a high priest. What do you mean high priest? A priest is someone that is a mediator. And much of the book, the mysterious book of Hebrews, is about the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when he died on the cross... His blood was not only shed in this world, but his blood was applied to all of our sins in the next realm. And because his blood was shed as not only the perfect high priest, the perfect sacrifice, we were therefore given access to to the throne of grace every day, 24 hours a day, because if you receive Christ, you are a son or a daughter. Now, in this throne room, according to this one verse, we get three things. How many things? Three things. What are the three things we get? The first one, it says, let us come with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive or obtain mercy. Well, what is mercy? Mercy means you didn't get what you deserve. And instead, you got the help that you also did not deserve. You didn't get what you deserved, and you got the help you did not deserve. And then the second thing is grace. Now, grace may be the most misunderstood word in the New Testament. As a brand new Christian, I was taught this. The definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. That's not a real good definition. That's a definition of mercy. The best definition of grace, and it's one of the most powerful words in the New Testament, is this. It's the will and the power to do God's will. And I've discovered Paul writes a lot about it. 
And Paul leads me to believe that I can't do anything without God's grace. What do you mean? I can't be saved without God's grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith. If he doesn't draw me first, I'm not going to come. If he doesn't show me my need, I don't get it. I can't love my wife without grace. I prayed for two years that God would make me a soul winner. And after two years, God gave me that grace. I didn't have the grace before. I don't have a grace to be a pastor. I don't have a grace to raise children. I don't have a grace to do anything unless he gives it to me. Okay, are you with me? So the throne gives mercy. The throne gives grace. Now I want you to read a verse where Paul sums a lot of this up with me, please. But by the, read it please. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. One, the verse 9 right above it talks about he deserves nothing. He persecuted the church. He is the least of all the apostles. Instead, God's grace came. And look at the verse. It says, toward me. Grace is a force. It is a power that comes from heaven. And you can resist it. By saying you don't need it or you're going to be arrogant in the Lord's presence and you don't get God's grace. But if you humble yourself, Peter and James says if you humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, he will give you grace and he will exalt you at the proper time. Read the rest of it, please. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God working in me. So as you develop your prayer life, you get the mercy of God and you get the grace of God. John Wesley, one of my great heroes, and he was not my hero until I came to Asbury Seminary 354 years ago. I, and smarter people than I, have determined he may be the greatest Christian outside of the Apostle Paul because of the grace on him. God used him to change two continents in his lifetime, and I'm actually a spiritual descendant of that man, as well as probably, shoot, I don't know, 500 million people around the globe. Where did the grace of God come from? How did this five foot two Englishman, how did God use this unsuspecting guy to change the world? Because he got up at four o'clock every morning, 10 o'clock at night, no matter who he was with, he would say, and he was with important people. The older he got, the more people wanted to be around him. And he would say, I've got an appointment in the morning early, so I must leave your company. Good night. He would get up and spend the early morning hours in prayer. And that's where the anointing came from. Do you want that? The third thing you get from the throne of grace is the help you need when you need it. I've been a follower of Christ a long time, but I am needier today than I've ever been. And I talk to him about every single thing. I write every single thing down that I need help with. Because I want to make sure I talk to the king on the throne about what his lowly son needs. Do you have needs? Do you want help? It's available. But you have to go into the secret place. You have to train yourself that you have 24 hours every day and you need to take at least the best hour of every day and get in God's presence. Now, I want to give, are you with me so far? Hello, are you with me? Now, let me give you some suggestions that I've just learned over a long time. 
You may say, I've never prayed much. I'm 14. I don't understand how to do this, or I'm a brand new Christian. So how would you learn to pray, Steve? Well, let me give you some some principles. First thing, most important thing, you have to make the appointment. I was so blessed as a brand new Christian at age 18 to have several people around me who had already understood that they needed to have something called a quiet time. Everyone say quiet time, which means a time alone with the Father. And it's made up of two things, Bible reading and prayer, Bible reading and prayer. And I watched these men and women do it, and I learned I needed to do it too. You have to make the appointment. Without the appointment, nothing will happen. B, schedule it when you are the most fresh. I myself, first thing in the morning, cup of coffee, sit down in this chair. This is my $15 yard sale reading my Bible chair. It works for me. I have to find, you have to have a place where you can be by yourself. D, get alone in his presence. I need to be free of distractions. No TV, no radio, no Facebook. Phone needs to go away. I need to be free of distractions if I want to hear the whisper of his voice. Not the shout of the world, but the whisper of his voice. E, methodically, everyone say methodically, methodically read the scriptures first. If you're the kind of Christian, you don't read the Bible, you're missing it. If you're kind of, you're kind of Christian, you read it when you want to, or you just open it and read a couple of verses, you've missed the whole point. You need to read it methodically. I read it from front to back Every single year, I want to grow in knowing who he is. So I'm in the scriptures. Then I go to my time of prayer. I don't do it the other way. Because if I'm in the scriptures first, my mind is renewed. I'm thinking about the things of God. My spirit is activated. I am eager to go pray if I do that second. By the way, Mark Batterson This is a quote from his book, and I believe it. He's a man of prayer. He understands prayer. He says the quickest way to get into the presence of God is to start in the Scripture. I completely agree. No Scripture, you probably won't be able to enter into his presence. Next, I've learned praying a Scripture back to him can be very, very powerful. I try to write down one thing from what I've read, put it on a card as I go to pray. I'm praying it back. For instance, this week, Proverbs 14.1, He who is gracious to the needy honors him. Thought about that all day long. Lord, help me to be gracious to somebody every day. Help me to be kind to someone every single day. Help me to do something for someone undeserved every single day. Now, to the needy, let me say this. The the needy are not these guys out at the intersections of the shopping mall begging for money. Those guys are not needy. They are taking advantage of people. But there's need everywhere. There's need everywhere. And if, you do, if, if I do that, I'm honoring the Lord if I help somebody every single day. F. Goal setting is very important in the spiritual realm. It is not legalistic. It is smart. What are you talking about? If I lead somebody to Christ and I'm discipling them, I'm getting them off to a good start, giving them a Bible, I tell them I want them to start in Matthew and read a chapter a day. I'm giving them assignment, a chapter a day. And I go, when you're ready for two chapters, go to two. When you're ready for three, go to three. When you're ready for five, go to five. Set a goal. It's the same way with prayer, minutes in prayer. As a brand new believer at age 18, I felt God's Spirit drawing me to pray. 
I sat on that old front porch of that Carolina farmhouse I was raised in, 150 years old. There were two rocking chairs on the front my grandfather bought when he was in his 20s. And on that hot summer Carolina night, I'd sit in that rocking chair and I just started talking to God. And you know what? He showed up. And I probably averaged 10 minutes in prayer. When I got married to that wonderful wife that I've been with for 40 years, I was working for a newspaper. And uh, when I would get home to our house, she would be fixing supper. And I would go out the front door because I had to be at work early in the morning. And I would walk 10 minutes from our front door down to the highway and 10 minutes back. So my prayer time doubled because I'd have to be out doing stuff just about every night. When I came to Wilmore, I was 29. We rented a little apartment above the drugstore. The Holy Spirit whispered to me one day in my prayer time. It's the whisper that counts. He says, Steve, a lot of people lose their faith in seminary. Because they study about me and spend no time with me. And then when they get out in ministry, the devil crushes them like a can. So, Steve, your job is to double your prayer time. So I went from 20 minutes to 40 minutes walking the streets of Wilmore at night. Did I do it every night? No, but 30 minutes is better than no minutes. And then when I became a pastor in my first little church, only three houses around that community, 50 little people in that little church, one day I heard the whisper again, Steve, grow. You got to expand your prayer time. And so when I left the door of my house and walked down that country lane, it was a mile and a half. That was 30 minutes of prayer down and 30 minutes of prayer back. So I started getting in the routine of an hour of prayer. And let me tell you what that church experienced revival, and I did too. You know, I tell young preachers and missionaries and youth pastors, I say it to them. I don't say it enough. I need to say it to them until they get sick of me and they run away or they kick me in the knee or do something like that. But I tell them, if you get to the place, you are praying an hour a day. You will be wildly successful. And I say that to all of you. Now, changing your prayer posture can help you keep focus. Like what? Sometimes I sit. Sometimes I stand. My wife saw this picture. Yes, said, sometimes I fall off the ledge and get run over by a car. I've almost had that happen. Kneeling is good. Lying prostrate is good. Lying prostate is not good. It's a different issue. (laughs) Did I say that? Sorry. (laughs) Rocking is good. Rocking in a chair. You go to Jerusalem and you see rabbis doing this at the Wailing Wall. And I, sometimes the movement just helps me pray, keeps me focused. Here's another one, pacing. It's a rainy, cold day. You're praying in the house. Pray for your family in this room. Pray for the nation in this room. Pray for missionaries in that room. Walk back and forth. I just do better with a little movement. Prayer walking. I've prayer walked for 45 years, the last couple of years. I have been prayer driving. Keep your eyes open. (laughs) Dancing before the Lord is a wonderful thing. I would do it, but it doesn't look good on camera right now. Use a prayer journal. Just go to Target. Buy a spiral ring notebook. Write down the things you're concerned about. Keep cards around you because if you have a pen in your hand, the Holy Spirit will see you're more apt 
to pay attention. If you're a businessman, why would you not pray about the specifics in your business? That's dumb. Pray about everything in your business. If you're a school teacher, why would you not list the names of every child in every class? Why would you not pray for the principal and the staff and the coaching and the janitors? You're there as a prayer warrior. You're not there just for salary. If you're a mother, why would you not be writing down the promises of God beside the names of your children? Why would you not list the specific things they need from God? And call them out to the Holy One. Because if you write things down, you'll be more apt to hear His whisper, the prompts, the nudges, the ideas that you will get every day if you pay attention. And I've taught new Christians this because my spiritual dad taught me. I said, Jerry, I don't know how to pray. And he said, well, Campus Crusade teaches its principle. It's a little acronym called ACTS. Everyone say ACTS. A means adoration. This morning on my prayer job, first thing I do is I'm worshiping. Declaring his worth, his beauty, his glory, his power. C stands for confession. If I've sinned deliberately, I need to talk to him about that. If my attitude has been bad, I've had bad words, I need to say, I need to talk to him about that. Thanksgiving is important. Try to spend a whole hour in Thanksgiving before the Lord. I mean, if he bailed you out three times last week like he did me, why would you not turn around and thank him this week? And then S stands for supplication. Everyone say supplication. Supplication means supplies, it's petitions, it's intercessions. You're praying for others. And by the way, always pray for yourself. Because you need it more than anybody. If you have a prayer language, use it every single day. You have the, the blessing of speaking in tongues in a devotional way. Use it. I got it when I was about 19 But for 20 years, I didn't use it until a missionary told me how her whole ministry opened up in Hong Kong when she started praying in the Spirit 15 minutes every day. I started using that gift, and it strengthens me every time I use it. I probably average 15 to 30 minutes praying in my prayer language. K, after you pray, leave the results to God. Don't worry about it. Put it in the Lord's hands. Walk away. Be full of joy and go about your day. This is the cure for worry and fear right here. And I'll make you a promise. The Holy Spirit, he will tutor you. He will show you how to pray if you give him the time. Now, this is important. Stay with me. How do we learn anything? We learn by studying. If you like to play chess, there are some people that are tremendous chess masters. They can teach you how to get better. If you want to be better at gardening, you love roses, there's people that know how to do that. And if you want to learn to pray, there's people that have walked ahead of you and ahead of me. We're studying this book on Wednesday nights in our midweek boost, and it is helpful. The second way we learn is by doing. If you just start praying 10 minutes a day, you will learn. The other way is by watching. A lot of what I know I've gained from other people. Now this booklet that we're using, Seek God for the City, small groups will use it, men's prayer groups will use it. I want you to use it with your family as a devotional. It is phenomenal. 
Use it and you will be blessed and your prayer life will grow. And I want to say to all of us men here today, I want you to do what I didn't do for the first 20 years of our marriage. I want every man to pray with his wife every day. You, brother, need to be the initiator. It's up to you to lead the way. I prayed with thousands of people, and I was too tired to pray with my wife until 20 years ago. I finally figured out, this is my greatest prayer source right here. So pray with your wives, men. Pray with your children every day. Put your hands on your kids and your grandkids and speak a blessing over them. And by the way, teach your children to pray when they're little so they're not embarrassed. Later on, prayer is nothing but talking and listening to God. That's all prayer is. Attend a COS prayer group. I've listed 12 of them, and there's probably there's others I didn't have space to list. If you want to learn to pray over these next six weeks, find yourself a prayer partner. Pray by phone. Starting next Sunday, there will be tables right over here on both sides with post-it notes. And all of us are going to put the names of people that we love that need Jesus on that wall, and we're going to pray for them. Attend the COS nights of prayer, Tuesday nights. It'll be life-changing. And last, there is a ministry at UK that mobilizes the church to pray for every single UK student, like 30,000 kids. All you have to do is go to this website, ukpray.com, and they will give you 40 kids to pray for, 40 students, first name only. If we all take 40, we'll see a revival happen on that campus. Praise God is right. Okay, are you with me? Now I want to share one last thing, a story. This time of year, 1904, the little country of Wales. You see Wales in purple there, right beside England? There was an early morning prayer meeting before church. And there was a teenage girl by the name of Flory Evans And she got up to testify in this group, 10 or 15 people. This is all she said. She stood up and her lips started quivering. She couldn't even get it out. Tears started rolling down her face. And this is what she said. She said, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart today. And when she said that, it was like an electric current went through that room. People started standing up. That's the place where it happened one by one and started testifying their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ that they they were in and they would serve him forever. And that girl's testimony started the Welch revival that changed about 12 countries. One girl. There's a 26-year-old shy backward coal miner by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts had been praying every day for 13 years for revival for his country. That's what he'd been doing for 13 years. But something happened. He had an encounter during the 13 years on a spring night. He'd gone to bed pretty early. And at one in the morning, the Holy One stepped into the room where he was sleeping. And the Holy One is like transported him to the invisible realm. And they had fellowship 
for four hours. His body was shaking so violently, his brother that was in the other bed got up and tried to hold him thinking it was a medical issue, a seizure. He awakened at five in the morning, went back to sleep for several hours. Then it happened all over again at seven. And in his biography, he says, this happened every night for five months. You see, he had prayed for revival for 13 years. But what he did not know, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to people all across the nation of Wales, urging them to pray the very same thing, that they needed an awakening and God wanted to send it. And someone asked, well, why did the fire of God fall in Wales? And the answer was this. I love it. It's because fire falls where there's something likely to catch fire and spread. Evan Roberts wasn't a great speaker. He was backward. He was unimpressive. He was plain. He was simple. But man, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He was filled with love. He was filled with zeal. And he wanted to make his life count. And he hated publicity. He hated any kind of praise. He disdained adulation. And whenever he saw a newspaper reporter, he would run away from him. As a matter of fact, if he sensed during this revival that people came to wherever he was speaking just to see him or just to hear him, he would leave the pulpit, walk away. And he didn't want anybody to take his picture. The reason was, Evan Roberts was convinced that if people put their focus on him, the revival would end and God's presence would withdraw. Worship team, come on up, please. Some things were key ingredients in the revival One was a passion for Jesus and a hunger for God. Another one was a presence of God seemed so thick. Another one was worship was incredible and spontaneous. People stood for hours and hours and hours just worshiping with tears running down their faces. And services would start and go to two or three in the morning because people just would not go home. They love the presence of God. And it spread to all kinds of denominations and churches all over. Churches would be packed. And people would be standing shoulder to shoulder where there was not even room to get a hand up to praise the Lord. And there would be as many, sometimes thousands of people trying to get a glimpse through the church door or listening through the windows of the church because they wanted God, because God had showed up. In 12 months, 100,000 people gave their heart to Jesus. Someone say, praise the Lord. It transformed society. The saloons and the bars closed because everyone was at church. Wouldn't that be cool? The police had nothing to do because there was virtually no crime. The courts were empty because there were no cases to prosecute. Debts were paid who had been outstanding for decades. You know a man gets right with God when he pays his debts. And public drunkenness was non-existent. What's interesting too, profanity disappeared. The graffiti on buildings and bridges were Bible verses. (laughs) And the most confused of all were horses that worked in the coal mines because their masters 
were using clean language that they didn't understand. So, we're going to have an invitation here in just a minute. If you'd like for God to give you a spirit of prayer, if you ask for it, He'll give it to you. And something else is true. Man cannot send revival. He cannot program revival. He cannot make it happen. God is the only one. But... If his people cry out for revival, if we ask for it, he's going to send it. So I believe it's going to happen. Maybe it's already started and we just haven't seen it yet. Let's close our eyes and pray. I want you to hold your palms open to the Lord. Lord, we're needy people today. We can't fix ourselves without your grace, your power, your mercy. We can't fix others. We can't fix our city and our nation. So we come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and receive the grace we need in time of need. Send your power, Lord. Bring brokenness, bring healing, bring miracle, salvation. And as people come to the altar, release a spirit of prayer like we've never seen before. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come to the altar. Let's ask the one that can grant what we need.
Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice, we're hanging on every
I don't believe any of us in this room understand completely how much we are loved. And the, the invitation to come into the throne room, why would, why would we ever refuse? Now, if you have never received Christ, where Christ is not your Lord, and you're watching online or you're here in the room, why don't you surrender now? Pray with me right where you are and say, Jesus, I surrender my life. I let go every disappointment, every hurt, every act of rebellion, I let it go. And I give you my life completely. Make me your child. And from this day forward, I will serve you as you give me strength. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, come and talk to someone here so they can get you started on the path. Leave uh, quietly because people are doing business with the Lord. Pick up your children. Let's serve God. Amen. Church of the Savior online today. We hope you.